season, like them, like we experienced this last month, we often wonder, does God care about these things? We know well that around the holidays, the one thing we often don't want to talk about is politics. We, we know even in our lives that that's not something that we want to talk about because in our own political climate, it often is something that's controversial or people get upset with it or get angered by it. And so we often just ignore it. We don't think about it, at least not publicly, with other people. And so we go off by ourselves as individuals and we come to our own conclusions about you know, what God thinks about politics or what our country should be like. Rather than having a conversation publicly, we, we go off into our own separate little ways. And I wonder, is that are we helped by that kind of conversation? Are we helped when we don't have that conversation with our family member about politics or about what particularly God thinks? This morning, if you're maybe visiting with us or not a Baptist, maybe you're just here, um, maybe you don't claim that name, it scares you, it's okay. Um, but Baptists, uh, historically, not just Southern Baptists, but, but Baptists, all the way back to England, historically, really were for two things. Religious freedom and regenerate church membership. Those really two things are like our, our claim to fame. The, 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 the two things that Baptists historically have, have given to the church is, a, is the fight for religious freedom. That, that there's to be a separation between the church and the state. And that the membership of the church is made up of regenerate people, born-again believers, not just anyone who wants to come. Wonder as Baptists, and particularly as Christians, does God really care about about politics, about government, and all these things? How are we as Christians to think about? Is the Bible just sort of silent? Is it quiet in that area? Has God just sort of left us to chance? I don't think so. And I hope you don't think so either. But God's word is clear about these matters of politics and government. God has, if you will, a plan for government, a plan for citizenship, a plan for Christian people living in a pagan state. So let's think about this in God's Word today. I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 12. Mark chapter 12. We've been walking through Mark's Gospel in an area where Jesus has been attacked over and over again. Jesus is, is taking one blow after another. The, the, the Pharisees or, and the religious leadership there in Jerusalem, they're in Jerusalem, sort of the capital city of Judea. There uh, we see these religious leaders are pressing in closer and closer to Jesus. We're in the final days of Jesus' earthly ministry. Jesus, in just a matter of three days, will be crucified on the cross, killed because of his rebellion against the nation of Israel and against Rome. Jesus will be crucified for what is to seem is his, not so much dying as the Son of Man, but dying because he rebelled against the establishment there in Jerusalem. Now, we know truly Jesus is not dying because of that, but he's dying as a sacrifice for our sin. We think about it from a worldly perspective. That's what people thought. And so Jesus here in the final days is, is being attacked by these religious leaders. And we want to remember that sort of the context, Jesus' challenge of his authority. 
So central to this passage and all the surrounding passages is really Jesus' authority as the Son of God. Jesus, through his teaching, ministry, is telling us about who he is. Every word, every action, every deed, all of it points to his identity as the Son of God, the Eternal One who has come in flesh. Let's read together. Mark chapter 12. I'm going to begin reading verse 13 and read down through verse 17. And they said to him, that is to Jesus, some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion. For you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said, Why do you put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one, and he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. Perhaps one of the most famous passages or famous words of Jesus is that, pat, is that verse, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. You know, I'm sure if you just ask your non-believing pagan neighbors, they will probably know that verse. They'll probably know that Jesus said that, if you were to quote that to them. But what does it mean? What, what is Jesus seeking to teach us and inform us through this passage? What, what is this really all about, to render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God? Well, I hope to just sort of capture it in just one little sentence here uh, to help us think, and we're just going to kind of unfold this in our time together. Jesus, as the authoritative Son of God, teaches us that his followers are to be good citizens by willingly submitting to governing authorities, which in no way limits nor hinders our responsibility to faithfully serve God. So Jesus, as the authoritative Son of God, is teaching us with authority from heaven that we are to be good citizens, that you are to be a good citizen of the country you're a citizen of. You're to submit to governing authorities, but which by no means limits your responsibility to faithfully serve God. We want to think about this in our time this morning. We want to give ourselves to. So first, let's consider the wisdom of Jesus that's displayed in this passage. That the wisdom of God is displayed through Christ. Now let's just sort of look first at the players. Like who's going, like who are the players going on here? We're told by Mark that some of the Herodians and some of the Pharisees have come to Jesus. This is a, is a really interesting group that's gathered here. The Pharisees would have been the sort of religious folks. They would have been the staunch Bible believers. They would have been the ones that would have been the Bible thumpers that would have been, you know, we need to get back to the Bible. We need to get back to, you know, being godly and holy. That's what we need to get back to. But then you would have the Herodians, which would have not been that at all. They would have been, in fact, they would have been more licentious. We would have been like Rome. We would have been more free in our 
living. And so what we have are really just two political parties. One that's pro-Rome, the Herodians. Uh, they were the ones in power. Uh, they kind of loved it. So what was going on was kind of a puppet government. The Herodians, uh, the, the family, the Herodians are just a family. It's people's last you know, name. So this family, were, they were in power there in, in Israel. They really weren't in power. They were kind of just little middlemen for, for Rome. And they were the ones that kind of keep peace there in Jerusalem. They were the ones that kind of keep peace in Israel uh, for, for Caesar, for the emperor of Rome. And so they loved it because they got to eat all the produce. They got to live up in the land with really no responsibility at all. They really didn't have to do anything. Uh, all they had to do is police the state in which they had been given. And they loved it. They were pro-Rome. They were for Roman. But the Pharisees weren't. They were actually anti-Rome. They were anti-government. It's kind of funny. It's kind of like big government, small government. Uh, the debates that we hear today in our own country, right? Big government, small government, what should it be? Those are really similar debates. Big government. Right? The Herodians were for big government. Right? The more power at the top. Whereas the Pharisees were really pro-small government. They, they wanted Rome out. They wanted to rebel against Rome. In fact, not long before this, there was a re rebellion. There was a revolt in 6 AD in which the, it, where the Jewish people tried to rebel against Rome. Well, because of taxes. And again, in the 60s AD, another rebellion. This was the one that ultimately destroyed the nation. All of this is to see that it's really interesting what Satan will do to stop the Son of God. Right? Two really groups of people that don't really unite together or get along, they're here again, as we've already seen several times in Mark's Gospel coming together. The conspiracy rises to the top. And they come to Jesus, as you've seen in verse 14, flattering him with these sort of false things. Things they don't really believe, but are nonetheless true. Look at what they said. And notice how true they are. Teacher, we know that you are true, or that you teach true things, that you that you, you, you don't just do things sort of off the cuff. You know, you, you really do things what the Bible says, that's what you do. Right? Jesus was not a pragmatist. He didn't just do things as they were, right? Jesus did things that were true and not just expedient for his life. And so they're coming to say, Jesus is true. And that's true, isn't it? Jesus was true. And notice they say, you don't care about anyone's opinion because you're not swayed by appearances. That's all true. Jesus wasn't. He didn't care about appearances. Jesus didn't care about those things. He cared about the heart. And so often in God's word, you'll find the antagonist is the one who's actually saying the true things about God. The one who's actually speaking truth. So there's much truth to see about Jesus in this passage. Notice also Jesus knowing their hypocrisy and the wisdom of Jesus' response in this passage. So the question centered, the question asked, is to pay taxes or not? Well, friend, if you thought that the IRS was not a, a fan here in the United States, it was particularly the case there in Rome and in Israel. No one wants a ruling power to come in and say, you have to pay me money. We don't even like taxes when we don't see the money going for things we want it to go for, right? We, we often get upset and frustrated. And so it wasn't this. The question central to this whole passage is, should we pay taxes or not? Should we align ourselves with the, na with the nation of Rome, the, the emperor, empire of Rome, or should we not? What should we do? 
for Jesus, it's really just a lose-lose situation. If he says, yeah, you should pay taxes, well then the, the Herodians are going to love it, but the Pharisees are going to hate it. I mean, imagine, for example, if you were to run for political office, you don't often hear politicians publicly saying that they're going to raise taxes on the middle class, right? That's the, you, you heard that in the election, right? Okay. Both political parties don't want to raise that. Why? Well, people are going to get mad. People are going to scream and shout and yell if you tax them more. Well, it's the same situation going on here. No one wants to give more money to the government. And so Jesus is really put in this, this peculiar place, this really a lose-lose situation for him. And in the midst of that, you see this wisdom of God sort of displayed. Jesus says something unexpected and radical. No one would have expected a rabbi to have said what he said. No Jew would ever stand and say, hey, we think you know Caesar's good. We, yeah, it's probably a good thing we should be involved in. No one would have expected Jesus to say that. But he scandalizes them in his words, and his words are true. And so he asked for a copper coin. Or excuse me, a silver coin. He asked for the denarius. A denarius was just a, a day's wages for you know, an average worker. So like most of us, that would be a, a day's wage of denarius. And he asked for that, and we're told by Mark that he asked them, hey, who's on this inscription? Who's on this coin? And clearly, I mean, they're not idiots, and neither is Jesus. You know, Jesus really didn't want to know. He was pointing out what their hypocrisy. By, by using the coin, which was readily available, notice, I mean, we don't want to read into this passage like that they left and went and found one and they came back. No, clearly, I think better to read it as they had it on them. Okay. Hey, give me a coin. Oh, here's one in my pocket. Right? Here it is. I've got it on me. Oh, you're carrying around Caesar with you. And on the back of that coin was perhaps what was most scandalous about it, not only the image of Caesar, but on the back it said, worship Caesar. Yeah. And so you have God-fearing Jews carrying around coins that say, we should worship Caesar. Jesus says, whose coin is that? Whose coin really is that? Well, it's Caesar's. Caesar was the one who minted that coin. It was by his authority. And just like your dollar bill that you maybe perhaps have in your pocket, right? That coin or, or that, that dollar, right, is entrusted by the United States government, by the mint, by the treasury. That, that's what that, that, that that's what it stands for. And so this coin pointed to the fact that they were a part of the system by which they didn't want to be a part. Because they took those coins and they used them, they were implicitly acknowledging Caesar's authority over certain realms of their life. Just like you. When you take a dollar and you use that dollar, you are under certain authority. You are saying that I am participating in the economic system, which is in this country, no different than if you go to another country and exchange your money for other dollars. What we want to see here is that Jesus is pointing out for them their hypocrisy, that they were willingly participating in these things. So what do we learn from this? What, what can we take away? What, what, what can we, as God's people, take away from this passage? Clearly, Caesar's not in power anymore. So does Jesus mean that we're to render to Caesar a dead man? Things? No. 
Jesus is talking about government. And he's talking about citizenship. So we need to just consider really just two main points. And then I have some little sub-points, so hopefully there's some application points. This is just straight application. First, Christians are an international community of good citizens. Christians are an international community of good citizens. Jesus says here in this passage, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar. So from this teaching, we can really just infer really some four things. So it's just really four little sub-points of our good citizenship. First, as Christians, we recognize that a pagan state is a legitimate state. We recognize that a pagan state is a legitimate state. We live in a pagan nation. This is not a theocracy, right? This is a secular pagan nation, just like any other nation in this in this world, right? There was only one nation that was a theocracy, and that was the nation of Israel. That's over. Time is closed. Closed when the new Israel came to Jesus, the one who perfectly lived and obeyed God and his word. And so, as Christians, we recognize that a secular nation is good, and it's God's purpose. We heard that in the scripture reading this morning in Romans 13. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist, so any that exist, the United States, or Britain, or China, or Japan, or any nation exists, have been instituted by God. Not by man, but by God. Therefore, Paul concludes, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will enforce judgment. We're going to think more about that in just a moment, about resisting. Is there ever a time to resist? But we say, we, we, we clearly understand that it's okay to live in a secular nation. As Christians, we've always lived in secular nations. God's people have always lived in countries. Now, yes, was there a time perhaps in our country where, you know, God was mentioned more, or, or people in government and power were, were more godly or godlike? Yes, that is true. We must not conclude that because our nation is more secular or more pagan, there's no qualifier that you can plug in the front of pagan that makes it any more pagan or any more secular. Secular is secular, right? Godly is godly. You just can't do anything to qualify that. And so we want to understand and recognize this as God's people. Because what Jesus is saying here is there is a place for Caesar in God's economy. There is a place for pagan leaders and non-Christian presidents. There is a place for that. Jesus says as much right here. And isn't that what God has done all, all through history? All the way back to Pharaoh? God used a non-Christian, right? A secular man. He raised him up for the purpose of delivering God's people. He's always done this. This is not new for God. We see also, as Christians... We are then to be good citizens of the country God has placed us. So if there is such a thing as a, as a pagan state, which we are a part of, and we are citizens of that state, how are we to live? Well, we're to live as good citizens. We're to reflect God-likeness in the way that we conduct our businesses, the way we relate to the government, the way we submit to those in authority over us. I think first and foremost, you want to see this, this point about God placing us. 
You did not choose to be an American. Maybe perhaps you did. You had one sister that comes regularly that did choose to be American. Maybe that is you this morning. You, you, were, you were born in another country, and you chose, I want to be a United States citizen. Well, for the majority of us, we're just poor. Right. You're right. And by nature of that, we become United States citizens. By God's sovereignty, you were a U.S. citizen, not a United Kingdom citizen, or a citizen of Germany, or a citizen of China, or a citizen of Japan or any other country, it was God's sovereign purpose that you would be raised here in America for his own glory and his own purpose. And so you want to just sort of submit to that first and foremost and say, look, this was God's plan, not mine. I had no control. The country that God has placed me, I will live as a good citizen. As we heard again in the scripture reading, right? That we are to submit. We are to submit. How do we submit? We submit by paying taxes, by giving to uh, everything what is owed, pay to all who is owed them. Taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. You know, sometimes we have a short memory about who Paul's writing to in Romans. He's writing to the same people Mark's writing to, isn't he? People living in the capital of the Roman Empire who saw Caesar every day. Who, who, who's seen the, 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 the saddening realities of a pagan world, a fallen world. And Paul says, honor to whom honor is owed. Honor, excuse me. Give them honor. The man who, yeah, perhaps slaughtered your family. Give them honor. Respect him. Titus himself exhorts his church <coughs> For Paul and Titus, the words Titus remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. We forget that these passages, that these verses were written to people living in a world which was much worse than ours. So what do we conclude? How do we live as good citizens? Well, I think first and foremost, we see the application of pay taxes, Right? I mean, it's so clear to us, but we often forget that we're to pay taxes. We're not to cheat on our taxes as Christians, right? <coughs> we're not to find a little loophole and, and sort of cheat the government. Oh, maybe they, they're so big they won't figure it out. There's other ways that we live as good citizens. Serve in jury duty, though painfully that may be. <laughs> do that as a citizen. It's a right that we have, and we yeah, maybe perhaps you know we run for public office. Maybe something God has called us to do. I think first and foremost, we see obey laws. Look, one of the things I'm often tempted with, years ago, uh, a friend of mine, we were in uh, seminary, and uh, we were traveling from Louisville to St. Louis, and uh, we were driving separately, and uh, we were talking about like how long it took us to get there, and I was like, you know, of course, bragging. It only took me like three hours. Uh, and he's like, he, he looks at me and, and uh, sort of has this sort of, he was a Marine, so he had this like kind of Stern, like, well, um, we kind of sped to get here, right? We disobeyed God. And I was like, what are you talking about? I disobeyed God. You know, and, and what he was doing is confronting me that, that, that speeding is not obeying and submitting to those in authority over us. I know it's tempting. I do it often. Be repentant. Thinking also maybe in our own businesses or in our jobs, maybe where we see fraud. Do we point it out? Do we speak up? Do we see? Do we allow our coworkers or our managers or our bosses to cheat the system because no one's looking? 
or do we uphold the law? I think also as Christians, we need to be careful. When we are not willing to submit to the laws of the land, particularly when we want certain laws changed, we want to be careful there. We want to uphold the law. I think one of the things we want to be careful of also is sort of a schoolyard ethics. You know, kind of uh, everyone's doing it, so I'm going to do it kind of mentality. Everyone cheats, so I'm going to cheat. Everyone steals, so I'm going to steal. Everyone, you know, cusses out the president and thinks he's a terrible person, so I'm going to do that. I think being a good citizen means submitting to those in authority, respecting the president. You may disagree with him. If you disagree with the new president, you go, respect him. Is he not created in the image of God? That alone is enough, sufficient respect. So as Christians, we want to live as good citizens and obey these things. But also we recognize that as Christians of a country, we are first and foremost an international community. We're citizens of another land. And that that citizenship is, is more important than this one. We're not going to be in eternity standing around chit-chatting about being Americans. We're going to be standing in eternity chit-chatting about this glorious, eternal citizenship that is so secure, not Satan himself can snatch away. All right, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. We are an international community. That's what we want to see reflected in our own services. What we see here is what we should see there. And if what there looks like doesn't look like this, then we need to change it. Right? We need to do something to change. So if there is every tribe, tongue, and nation, well, we want to work to see every tribe, tongue, and nation here. Well, what's happening here is like an embassy office. Right? That's what this is. This land becomes heavenly as we gather here. The citizens of heaven gather every week to worship their God, our God. So we want to see reflected in our worship. As Christians, we trust that earthly authority is limited. Though. We recognize that those in governing authority over us should be limited in its power. So is there a place to resist? I think so. I don't think God's word means that we always obey. Maybe perhaps when we're asked to violate the command of God. We resist. Perhaps when we're asked to do an immoral act, we resist. When asked to go against our Christian conscience to obey government, we resist. Just this last week was the anniversary of Rosa Parks, where she defied the law, the civil rights movement. We see regular examples of laws being defied. Why? Because they were immoral. They were evil. People stood up. In the Bible itself, the apostles resisted the governing authorities. When the high priest questioned them, they said, We strict the high priest said, We strictly charge you not to teach in the name of Jesus. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. Friends, in our own nation, there may be a coming time where preaching God's word is outlawed. We're preaching against particular sins that the Bible makes clear. We'll send your pastor to jail. Right. The question is, will we submit or will 
our places for both. So as Christians, we are an international community of good citizens of the land God's places. We see that it says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. Our citizenship is Caesar's. It is the government's. It is the government's right to extend and revoke. And so we submit willingly as citizens of this country. But as Christians, we also we see in this passage is that we are to give to God the things that are God's. Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And so as Christians, clearly, we have a responsibility to serve God. We don't understand. We understand that there is not a conflict between our loyalty to the state and our loyalty to God. So often I'll hear, you know, you can't serve two masters, God and money. Remember Jesus said that? Well, well you wrongly apply that to, to citizenship. Meaning that you can't serve. Ultimately, our service is to God, and that loyalty does not mean disloyalty to another. So we don't want to think that your loyalty to your citizen, your American citizenship, is somehow disloyalty to the other. We don't want to see that. This is why Peter exhorts us to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God. Is God will to raise up the emperor? That by doing so, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. I mean, grasp what Peter's saying. Honor the emperor? Loyalty to one doesn't mean disloyalty to the other. We want to see also that submitting to earthly authorities is submitting to God. That when we obey the laws of the land, we are obeying God. That's what we want to see. We want to see that correlation. So when you don't speed, you're actually obeying God. Yes, you're obeying the law, but you're also obeying God. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conduct. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme. Every institution submit to them. One way that we do this here in our own congregation is to pray regularly for those in We don't do that because it just makes us feel good. We do it because the Bible commands us to do it, right? First Timothy, Titus 3. We regularly play, pray for those in authority, whether it be locally for our schools or the, those in government, in our county for the courts and those that represent us, in the state with the state representatives, the governor, our country, the president, congressional leader, and judges. We want to regularly give ourselves as God's people to pray for these individuals, to lift their names before God, and, and, and really mean it. There's a way to pray where you don't really mean it. God, I pray for the brother. You know, like, really mean I, I really do pray for the sick. We really don't want to see anything bad happen to him. We don't want to see him die. Just recently I was in the hospital and uh, foolishly uh, I was there meeting with uh, one of our members and lady, one of the cleaning ladies or nurses, I don't know who it was, was in there and, and Dummy me asked about the election. Um, and, uh, and the response that I heard saddened me because it was kind of like, I hope he dies, I hope someone kills him. Or something. And, 
representative for the current president. How many Christians would be okay if our current president was killed? How many Christians would say, that's a good thing? Who would we care for? And so our duty ultimately to God is comprehensive. We are to submit to God's word through obedience. We are to submit to God's call on our lives through sacrifice. And we are ultimately to submit to God through Jesus, through our submission to Christ and his gospel. So we want to see as God's people, one of the ways we obey God is by giving to God things that are God and to the government things that are the government. By obeying the laws of the land, by submitting to those in authority over us, willingly and recognizing that our responsibility ultimately is to serve God. Isaac Backus was a leading Baptist minister during the Revolutionary War here in America. Backus went and taught regularly about religious freedom. He stood staunchly arguing from God's word that civil government is to be separated. Uh, from this church. And he wrote, God hath appointed the ordinance of civil government for the defending of the poor as well as of the rich in their civil rights and privileges. And the work of the civil magistrates is to punish moral evil and to encourage moral virtue without touching upon anything that infringes upon the conscience or pretending to dictate and govern in the worship of the eternal God which belongs only to Jesus Christ, the great lawgiver and head of the church. I wonder, do you believe your citizenship is a good thing and a way to serve God in your life? Let's pray. Great God in heaven, we give the glory and praise to Father, we pray first and foremost that your people would forget everything that I have said that is untrue or unhelpful, that they would only remember what is true and right Pray that you would build your church and your people 